Though the gloomy skies try to weigh us down, we will not let it happen as we are coming to you here for another episode of the Producers Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in. I am KJ, the producer of The Drive, and I am joined here today with my guy, Ty. What's up, bro? Love the rhymes. Doing good, man. Doing good. And besides, it's it's not cold out. It's still pretty warm. Honestly, but, honestly it's kind of nice. But yeah, it's like cool and gloomy. Cool and gloomy is probably yeah. how I would probably put it. Yeah. So, I mean, look, you know, when you're in Colorado, the weather is just, you never know what you're going to get day to day. It could be sunny one day, gloomy the next. It could be uh, high in 90 one day. It could be 32 and snow in the next. It's just, it, yeah, it never. Yeah, the state could be on fire one day and it could snow the next day. Exactly. You know, because you, you could be planning like some type of get together and then the get together end up being in the house because because it got held out. Yeah, so it's just like, yeah. You kind of get what you get on that. But what I will say is that sometimes in life you just got to deal with the disappointment no yeah. matter how it comes. And <laughs> that's life. That's life. That's life. And I think sometimes you have to remember that sometimes that's just life. As we segue right into our topic of the day, which is the 2022-2023 NBA MVP. And this year's MVP was none other than Philadelphia 76ers center Joel Embiid. The most valuable Philadelphian. Yes. So now he (laughs) has another trophy to add to his mantle. And it's interesting, man. It's interesting the world we're in. I think when we're inside of our Denver bubble, we're always expecting it to go one way. But it's always interesting to see how the rest of the world perceives uh, the MVP vote, you know? Yeah, just the wider wider sports sphere, just the wider uh, perception. And, you know, I I, I want to stray away from the word bias. But, you know, in the NBA, I think there really is – is a bias, you know, toward the bigger market teams. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and especially when when they're in the same time zone, when they're in the same, you know, when they're literally like, you know, two hours away from the biggest from the headquarters of the big of the of the league office. Right, and, and I think that's that's kind of the thing that that a lot of people um, have to always keep in the back of their minds is that there's always going to be a big city bias. There's always going to be an East Coast bias towards everything. In the way that we think about how America's run, a lot of the things that drive the country is on the eastern side of the world. So, or or the eastern side of the country. Uh, my apologies. Yeah, east east of the Mississippi. Right, exactly. And so there's there's just a lot of things that that ingrains what this country was made on, and that includes sports. Like I, the East Coast bias thing is a legitimate thing. And it's not to take anything away from uh, Joel Embiid. I don't think Joel did anything wrong besides yeah. illegally campaign, but we'll get into that later in in this episode. Yeah, I mean, just just to preface the entire conversation, the entire episode, all the three finalists they they deserved it. All three finalists had a season; they had a spectacular season, and no one is unworthy of of the award. Right. No, you're you're absolutely right, and I think that's the thing that we definitely have to 
keep in mind is that everyone was deserving of the award and no one should be knocked for getting uh, a, a recognition of the award. I mean, obviously the three finalists were Joel Embiid uh, from Phil, from Philly. And then you have Nikola Jokic from Denver. And then you have Giannis Antetokounmpo from Milwaukee. Yeah. And, and it's a great, it's great for the NBA for the sport in general as, as a global game, because all three are foreign born players. Absolutely. Yeah, because you have uh, Embiid from Cameroon, Jokic from from the Balkans, and uh, you know we have Giannis from the Mediterranean. Like three completely separate parts of the world. Right, and I think that that just shows how global the game has become, even amid, even in the midst of everything that has transpired here in America. Like one of the biggest biases that we have here in America, probably compared to the rest of the world, is. Uh, once something is driven a certain way, it has to remain that way. Yeah. And I think as much as we talk about being progressive, I think sometimes we can be at a fault when it comes to not being as progressive as we say we want to. And I think the MVP vote kind of really showed that this year. Not to say that anybody was wrong for who they voted for or how they voted. But I do think it's interesting, and it's interesting in a way that I don't think many people have taken time to kind of really dive into. There was a moment earlier this year where Kendrick Perkins of ESPN uh, decided that he uh, wanted to talk about a narrative uh, that was revolved around stat padding. And he talked about how there were moments in the season where Nikola Jokic was stat padding to get triple doubles. And here in Denver, we fought tooth and nail to denounce that because it's the truth. He did not stat pad. There were moments where his teammates recognized that he was close to a mark and they worked maybe a few extra minutes harder to help him accomplish that goal where to say, Hey, yo, you know, go get that rebound. It's yours. It's yours. Or, Hey, yeah. Yoke, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna run this backdoor cut, and I'm going to be open in the corner. Or if you drive the lane, I'm gonna, you know, cut backdoor on my defender, and I'm going to get the tenth, or sixth, tenth assist with a fancy dunk or something. Like his teammates were aware of those things, and I think between that narrative and the race narrative about quote unquote more white voters than there are other uh, race of voters or ethnicities of voters. I think that kind of really got clouded by Kendrick Perkins, but it at least made people think for one second about why exactly isn't Joel Embiid getting more love for the MVP? And I think that was the turning point in the race. What do you think was the turning point? And then what do you think about Kendrick Perkins uh, and his narrative altogether? I mean, for one thing, I think it was just plain wrong to bring race into that, to bring such a heavy, toxic subject into that. I agree. Like, because all that's just a diversion from what really matters. It's just playing ball, and you bring something so so dead serious, something so out of left field, so out of hand into the conversation. I think that's just plain wrong. Uh, but for me, I, I don't think necessarily it was Perkins. It was that, that uh, narrative being introduced. I think it was the slide in March. I think that was about the time that it started to slip away from Jokic because mm-hmm. then it was about ball. You know, the Kendrick Perkins stuff, a lot of voters, a lot of people could just dismiss that as Perkins being a hot take guy, as being 
you know, a, a talking head saying the wrong thing. Uh, but um, when it really came to basketball, when it came to playing ball, when it came to the slide, when it came to Jokic playing bad and like playing below his standard, uh, I think it was really. I think that's when it was starting to slip away, and especially after the All Star break, when when the Nuggets, after they beat the Grizzlies, they just kind of punt on the season, right? When when Jokic and the Nuggets just kind of okay, we we have this lockdown. Let's let's just rest. Let's not go as hard as we need to, so we can rest up for when it actually matters. They punted on the rest of the season, and Jokic kind of punted on MVP, which is very on brand for him. Right? No, no, and you're right. I think. The bottom line is maybe a lot of voters could have chalked it up as, hey, this is just another thing. Like you said, another talking head, just kind of expressing things, saying things. But I think the slip in March was the moment that I think it realistically did change. The reason I don't want to just dismiss Kendrick Perkins as just another talking head is because everybody in the country for maybe about a week or so, were dialed in on that. And then it was Kendrick Perkins versus J.J. Reddick. As J.J. Reddick went out of his way to call out Kendrick Perkins, as he should have, because that was out of line by so many stretches of the imagination. And I think at the end of the day, whether you're choosing to drive a narrative or not, you have to be cognizant of how your narrative could impact the other side. And I'm not talking about it from a race perspective. I'm talking about specifically from a viewer's perspective. Now you start to affect the viewer's perspective. And when you start to do that, that's when things get a little tricky. And I know the voters are mature enough, and most of them, should I say, are mature enough to overlook his comments. But there has to be something said about what that looks like and how it all ties together from the grand scheme of things. Yeah, because what that narrative did, did it what it did was really radicalize and tribalize the the argument because now a lot of the uh, a lot of the perception around both these players is is forever changed. Like uh, now because of this season, because of that narrative, because of the result of the MVP vote, the perception around Jokic, around Embiid is is different now. Like that like now the relations between Nuggets fans and Sixers fans, those are completely tenuous. There's no, there's no discourse between Nuggets and Sixers fans anymore, right? Because as now you've introduced a lot of dog whistle stuff. Now you've introduced a lot of, of uh, stuff that's completely removed from the game, right? And now you're bringing a lot of dog whistles and a lot of, of other stuff and a lot of unsavory crowds into the conversation and kind of tr- uh, turning that into stuff to push their narrative. Exactly. And I think that can't be understated by any stretch of the imagination. Because when you pick and choose what narrative is worth driving, that's when things not only go off the rails, but you have a chance to either gain a bunch of people or you have a drastic chance of losing a lot of people. And I think in that moment, and in several moments throughout this race, there were uh, moments where I think a lot of talking heads lost more than they won this season. As a matter of fact, as we're talking about the race in totality, let's talk about before the MVP was was won. 
And we're kind of going to look back at the season overall and kind of pace ourselves here. And we're going to take it candidate by candidate. So let's start with the winner himself, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, I think to me, had a a phenomenal season. I mean, this guy was uh, right there uh, with a chance to win the scoring title this season. Um, And he was just an absolute monster when it came to getting whatever he wanted. He was by far and away when he wanted to be the most unstoppable center this season. I mean, between points, rebounds, block shots, his ability to control the paint, his ability to continue to help his teammates uh, get better by feeding off of his energy, being in the right place when they needed to be there. Uh, All of those things, I think, played a huge part into it. Not to mention, when you have a veteran coach like Doc Rivers, it never hurts to have a guy who understands the talent that is within his grasp so that he can put it in the right position to be successful as much as possible. So when we talk about Joel Embiid being the MVP, when we talk about all of the 50-point, 40-point, 30-point games this season that he had, all of that was not by accident. And for the the majority of the season, Philly was in contention for the first uh, for for the the, the first place uh, in the East, and then they were also in contention probably up until like the last fifteen games of the season for being the overall number one seed. And I think that can't go understated. Joel Embiid kept his team in the race. They were absolutely amazing. Now, a lot of people say that the team was just as successful, if not more successful, when he was, uh, uh, you know, when he, with games he missed this season. And, yeah, they were above 500. Um, Actually, they were significantly above 500. One of the things things I saw, uh, they were 11-5 without Embiid. Absolutely. Yeah, winning more than double the amount of games they lost. Exactly. So I know there was a case that tried to be made, but – even people who make that case knew that that was more of a last-ditch effort because the bottom line was Joel Embiid, by far and away, put himself in contention to once him and Jokic got head-in-head, or should I say neck-in-neck is probably the better way to put it, uh, in regards to the race itself, once we got over the halfway point of the season and we got into March, Joel continued to ascend I think Jokic and the Nuggets, they kind of plateaued, and that in itself really kind of derailed uh, Jokic's chances, not to mention the losing streak at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that really affected it. Although a lot of the stuff over the matter, of course, did kind of bug me. Like a lot of the statements coming from Embiid, you know, all, you know, uh, winning against the Nuggets in Philly, but ducking him in in Denver, and then going off and getting, uh, I think, blown out by the Bucks at the near the end of the season, right? To lose control, to to follow contention for the one seed. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of that did kind of bug me. Yeah, a, a, lot, a lot of the very clear campaigning, a lot of the very clear concerted effort to get that, that reward, to get that accolade. Right. No, I agree. I, I definitely agree. And I think... <sighs> When it comes to Joel Embiid, that's where things have 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 a chance to to get a little murky, because he has a way of picking and choosing uh, little moments where he wants to shine, where he knows he can shine. Like right. he went crazy. 
crazy against the Golden State Warriors. I, I don't remember the points exactly, but I'm almost certain he had like 47 points in that game. And they lose. And then he goes to Phoenix. He has a pretty good game there as well. And they lose. And he's like, well, I'm going to actually choose this game to sit out. It's just like, so you mean to tell me that playing against the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors, two teams that were not the number one seed in that in the Western Conference, was more important than playing against what is, and to me, is is, is by far the number one center in the league. But we'll say arguably because Joel is, is the MVP this season. Right. You would rather not play the two-time MVP and arguably the best center in the league just to play against two teams that when, when it's all said and done, you nine times out of ten won't see them again until next year versus a team like the Denver Nuggets you realistically had a chance of seeing them in the finals. I yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah, that that didn't sit right with me. And yeah, it and just getting that narrative because that really did uh, help control the narrative. Like he he beat Jokic, he beat him. He, he, there's no uh, concrete proof that he got outplayed by Jokic at all. Well, but now he's ducking him. So it, it's a matter of like you know clearing the record by by omission, right? Right. And, and I guess. When you look at it that way, it's, it's kind of like if that's truly your priority, even though they say he had a calf strain, I still to this day don't believe him. I don't believe them for one second. I think Doc Rivers is the master manipulator of all coaches in the NBA these days. Uh, and yeah. it's not to say that he's always been that way, but I think he's done a great job of growing into that role, which yeah. is fine. He's he's a veteran guy. He's He's been around the block. Yeah. That I'll never take away from him. And I think when he has a guy of Joel's caliber, I think it feeds right into what Doc Rivers wants to say and what Doc Rivers wants to do day in and day out. And I think that cannot go understated. Um, yeah, it, it was just weird, like, how Doc kept flip-flopping on the MVP as well. Like, how he would say, no, no, we're, we're focused on winning, getting, getting a championship, whatnot, and then immediately flip-flopping. That's why he's the MVP. Like that's a, a lot of a lot of the language coming from the Sixers this year, really kind of, really kind of bugged me. Really, really, you made me tilt my head. Right, exactly, and I, and and, and, it, and it really made me question them. Like, uh, okay, what 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 kind of organization are you trying to run? What what are your goals? Because are you trying to get accolades or are you trying to, to win it all? Are you like are are you a serious organization or are you not? No, it, it, that's exactly what it is. I think that's always been the question about that team. How serious are they? Uh, like they they've they've gone out of their way to go with this. Um, what 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 was their original slogan? Um, trust the process. Yeah, trust the process. Yeah, they, they they went through this whole trust the process thing where they were bad for multiple seasons at a time, and they single actively tanking. Actively tanking. I mean, they made they forced Adam Silver to have to change the way the lottery was done. They forced him to kind of consider how to make the game more competitive because Philly openly created a way to get better over four to five years. And I think the league, in a way, has manipulated it, even with all of the changes that Adam Silver in the NBA has done thus far. And I think validating Joel Embiid with the MVP says, one, we believe that that process is not the worst thing in the world. And number two, 
uh, driving narratives mean something in the NBA. And it's not to say that either one of those things are necessarily wrong, but when we talk about the original fabric of the NBA, I can't sit here and act as if it's right or that the new way of the NBA is right either because the bottom line is you can't drive a narrative more uh, than you actually want to focus on what's what's important, and that's winning. Like winning has to be the most important thing. And I think sometimes that got lost in, in, in the grand scheme of things throughout the season because of Joel Embiid and because of everything that Philly represents. Yeah, it's it's basically just more validation of, yeah, tank and just ruin the parity of the league, and then you'll be rewarded, right? So right. As, as long as you do it right. But it, it still doesn't sit right with me because even way back in the day, like, yeah, there were some narratives. There were some big storylines every year, like even going as far back as the 80s. He's right, you know, Magic versus Bird. But the fact of the matter is those teams were contenders every single year in the 80s. Is and even into the nineties, those teams were contenders. Like, like the big, the even uh, going back to the two thousand three. Like, oh god, twenty years, wow, <laughs> right, <laughs> wow. Uh, tw- I mean, even back to going back to twenty years when LeBron first came into the league. Like even then, that was about winning. Like, can he turn around his ho- beloved home team? Yeah, no, no, you're you're, you're right. I think. Speaking of that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that 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 up specifically because that that era of the draft, I think, was the last time we felt real authenticity uh, about uh, teams wanting to go about it the right way. I think once we got into the 2010s, that was probably the end of what we knew to be as teams not manipulating the draft to get what they want. Yeah, the lottery was just a matter of course, not something actively, not not another tool, right? Yeah, right, right, right. It's, it's understanding that I am working active. Well, I think a lot of it has to do, since we're kind of going this deep into it, I, I, <laughs> a lot of it has to do with the fact that I think GMs understood back then that I don't have time to tank. I've got yeah. to win. Yeah, it's, it's results-based business. It's what have you done for me lately, like it is in all sports. Right. And because that was the case, I think a lot of GMs, went about their business in a way that I have to put my, put my best foot forward. I have to put uh, the best product out on the court as often as possible. Now GMs, if you sell the plan to the president of basketball operations, and then you sell it to uh, the, the owner and you sell it to several other people in the, in the brass of the organization to say, Hey, if we milk this process for the next three to four years, maybe even the next four to six years as we're progressively getting better, we could put ourselves in a position to be great for the next decade. And I think for the longest time, it was always about finding a star and then building around him with either another potential star or putting the requisite pieces around that guy to make sure that the star was able to do all that he could do to be successful. That was always the goal when we're talking about the basketball of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, Very rarely were you able to find teams like the Boston Celtics of the 80s and the Lakers of the 70s and the 80s and the Boston Celtics and the Bulls of the 90s and the Celtics of the 60s because those teams are so rare uh, when we talk right. about that level of success and those level and that and, and and those types of players coming together at the same time, it was so rare 
that those that's why those teams hold such high regard. And it's not to say that I am going to penalize this Philly team for the greatness of the past. But when we talk about getting away from the original NBA fabric, I can't sit here and act as if the way that Joel Embiid has played a part in the manipulation of the modern day game. When we talk about the overall uh, perspective of how basketball is viewed now, yeah, it's not just basketball, as you said, Ty, earlier in, 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 in the podcast. It's not about basketball. It's more about politics now. Yeah, exactly. And it's just really weird that the politics are going against Jokic, like just how how much everyone's campaigning against them. Because, yeah, you know, I, I, I even uh, even guys who aren't involved in basketball at all, like he will Jay and Max. I I saw Keyshawn just you know uh, ranting about about Jokic's game, saying that he was boring. Like aesthetic is king, and uh, apparently nobody nobody wants to see this slow white guy. With technical perfection of the game, as the MVP, like nobody wants to see that, no, right? And, right? And everyone's campaigning against that, right? So, and and that's kind of what it all is. It's the perception of the game versus it's really just the campaigning and the politics versus the game, right? Right. And beads the politics, and and the Jokic is is just play ball. No, you're you're, just you're in, absolutely in his demeanor right. and in his play style. I couldn't agree more, and I think you you saying that segues us right into Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic's season, I think, was easily defined by triple doubles in the early going. Uh, the, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Nuggets ended up opening the season with his first 28 triple doubles, uh, or first 26, first 26. I, I, th- I think it was 27. It, so it was 27. I, I think so. Okay. I'll have to double check that though. So, so we're going to stick with 27. Um, we love that number. As a matter of fact, it's right in between 28 and 26, so I think 27 is perfect. Um, so the Nuggets opened their first 27 Nikola Jokic triple-doubles this season with a win. So they were 27-0 and when he got a triple-double. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I think that became the narrative for the, for, for the Nuggets earlier this season was, man, that is crazy how the Nuggets are feeding so much off of Jokic's success or how Nikola's ability to do a multitude of things is opening the room for this team to flourish in a way we haven't seen in some time. And I thought that was amazing. But even before that, let's go farther back into the season, way at the beginning, into the preseason, as a matter of fact. In the before in the preseason slash off season, uh, Nikola Jokic was playing EuroBasket in 2022, and a lot of that translated to him coming into uh, the preseason feeling good. He was he was in shape, he was in rhythm, everything was good to go. But he had a new team. He had Bruce Brown, uh, he had Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Ish Smith. Uh, he no longer had Will Barton, uh, Monte Morris. You know, he got Jamal Murray back from injury. MPJ, uh, AG's feeling good. Now he has a new teammate in KCP. Uh, There was a lot of shuffling that went on. And so I think early on in the season, Nikola Jokic was trying to fill his teammates out. And I think the Nuggets got off to a less than impressive start. Not to say that they were bad because they were right around 500 
for about the first 20 games of the season. And then that's when the trajectory shifted into this ultra just mega mode of the Nuggets just going crazy between uh, late November into uh, probably the early parts of March where they were very, very consistent. Um, Nikola was the anchor of it all in games he played and games he didn't. Between his triple doubles, him ingratiating his teammates, them creating chemistry, and the Nuggets being able to hone in on what was going to be a magical season was super important. And I think they understood it early on. And once they really were able to kind of catch stride and Jamal was feeling like Jamal and MPJ was feeling like MPJ, the rest pretty much felt like history as the season went along. Yeah, I mean, this season was just the 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 perfection of my of the system under under Nikola Jokic with Jamal Murray and MPJ back in their in their full power. Like it it was it was a showcase of what this team is fully capable of. It is full capabilities is with everybody healthy with Jokic dialed in with with Murray dialed in with MPJ getting involved and growing and ascending. And especially with Aaron Gordon in place and all of, all the depth that Michael Malone requires. Like this is this is Michael Malone's ideal team, and this is, is exactly what they can do, and this is exactly a showcase on what Jokic could do. No, I I, I couldn't like agree more. Like it really catered to his his uh, play style. You're absolutely right. I, I I couldn't agree more with you on that because it it, it is tailored to his play style. Um, he's he's surrounded by a lot of guys who understand the. They, they understand the ability not just to cut, but they understand the ability to uh, be in a position to where Jokic can find you. Uh, if you stand still or if Jokic has the ability to lead you to a position, read his eyes, read his body language. Guys who were vets and who understood that, and even the rooks over time this season, they yeah. better understood what Jokic needed from them. And – Man, it made Jokic's world so much easier because he had guys who were bought in and who wanted to fulfill a role to the umpteenth degree, and he didn't have to beg anyone or drag anyone. He could just play like Nikola Jokic, and everything on most nights would be okay. Yeah, and it was it was it's such a blessing to have Jamal Murray back because that two man game. Like you, you could tell Jokic missed that. He missed that so much. Oh yeah. But yeah, I mean, even watching the Nuggets for just a few games, anytime Jokic is on the court, he's the center of the universe. He's the center of of everything. If defenses have to watch him, they have to make the decision to either single him up with someone with their best defender, their best big, or double him up and leave someone open. But but no matter what, everything on the court revolves around number fifteen. Yeah, no, that's 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 the thing, is that they understood that the world went around Nikola Jokic. Now, if I'm going to criticize Embiid, I am also going to criticize Jokic from yep. this perspective. Got to be fair. The bottom line with Nikola Jokic is he doesn't always buy in defensively. That's always been his thing, and I'm not going to knock Nikola for being a bad defender. I'll leave that for somebody else. But I will knock Nikola for putting himself in positions at times where if you're the biggest guy on the court, you have to understand that when there are driving lanes, you have to close that 
you have to make guys think about whether or not they really want to come into your body and and lean in for the foul, or do they want to uh, do they want to circle back out and say, you know what, I better regroup here, and whether that's you having to defend them on the pick and roll, uh, defend them on the switch, whether that's you getting drawn out because, like I said, uh, a player may decide to drive in and then draw you in as a potential defender. Uh, there's just so many things that I think Jokic could have did better this season. And I think it would have eliminated as the season went along the ability to get picked apart in the, in the pick and roll. Now, has he gotten better since he's gotten in the league? Of course he has. I would <laughs> think he would want to get better because that's just the type of player he is. But I think when you look at the level of greatness for centers defensively all time, Jokic isn't even in the ballpark. I don't even think he's in the same stratosphere right now because yeah, no, there's there's no way. Oh man, he, he he has good hands, but otherwise, no. Dude, I'm telling you, between blocking shots, having a great timing on rebounds, and being able to read passing lanes, and being able to understand that I got to move my feet and not let guys get by me, and letting little guys own the lane on me, and and letting layups by so I can get back on offense, like all of that kind of stuff. That was never happened with some bigs of the past. So when we talk about some of his prowess, everything for him leans into his offense setting the tone for his defense. But what we've learned about the about the, the, the Nuggets when they want to be successful because we deem this as one of their best seasons in their history is when they buy in defensively, everything else takes care of itself. And I think Nikola saw signs of that this season. My biggest thing is how do you – Put yourself in a position being Nikola Jokic where you know offense is your bread and butter. But how can you create – how can you use defense to create offense as a center? I don't need you to block every shot. But how do you put yourself in a position to where guys aren't looking at you as like you're this mouth-watering piece of, you know, apple pie? Yeah, and it's like, I know today I'm about jobs. to eat. Yep. Yeah, just, just taking that NFL mentality, like defense creating offense. Right, right, exactly. And I think it's kind of like, you know, as as uh, Shaquille O'Neal would say it on TNT, barbecue chicken. How can you put yourself in a position when guys are coming down the court and they see you on defense, they're not like, oh, man, this guy's about to be barbecue chicken. Let me get that right there. <laughs> Love Shaq. Those guys on the inside TNT, those guys are the best. They, they, they are the best, man. That's why they, that's why they get paid the big yeah. bucks. Like they know they're talking about, they they give everyone their due due props. Like it, it's they're just a great group. Oh yeah, no no doubt about it. Um, so yeah, that that's 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 my biggest thing with Nikola Jokic, and and yeah, and that's absolutely fair. Like yeah, like if we're gonna uh, if we're gonna criticize Embiid for picking and choosing when he wants to be great, when he wants to dominate, then then yeah, we can absolutely bag on Jokic, uh, the hometown guy who's who picks and chooses when he wants to put his body on the line when he wants to give the effort to stop the other guy, especially in such a deficient uh, aspect of his game. Right, exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest things is understanding that that's a deficient and wanting to actively get better. On to our final uh, finalist for the uh, NBA MVP. The quietest. Uh, by far. Yeah, I, but I think it, it just got overwhelmed by everything else but it just got lost in the mix oh yeah yeah Giannis Antetokounmpo is our is our third guy here and 
Ty, you you summed it up correctly, man. It got a lot of his stuff got like it, it it got lost in the sauce of Jokic versus Embiid because that's what the MVP race became uh, middleways through the season, which is perfectly fine. But I think yeah. Giannis made a strong case. He eventually overlapped Boston, and Boston came out like guns a blazing for like the first twenty games. If I'm not mistaken, they only had like three or four losses. I mean, they were out there, Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart had them all going. And Giannis said, it's okay. Guys, we don't have to blink. We're going to reel them in. We just got to stay the course. I think Giannis being the dominant force that he was this season, and even though he had a, a slight injury uh, coming out of the All-Star break, in, well, going into the All-Star break, and then coming out of the All-Star break with his wrist, um, I think his team showed that they could stay afloat. But they also showed that there were moments where Giannis should have been there. Yeah, and absolutely. that's when you knew that Giannis was a prominent MVP candidate because Giannis was able to affect the game at all levels. And he did it in a way that I think his team understood that, man, we are a good team on both sides of the court without him. But Giannis elevates us to a great team, not because he can score, but because he's a dominant force. He em, he just em, 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 embarks so much like fear into guys' hearts and into their eyes because when you see him coming down the lane, you don't want to get caught up when oh, he's yeah. getting ready to jump up and slam the ball down because his one-two dribble or one-two step to get to the lane is almost unstoppable. And then on the defensive side of the ball, it's hard to get the ball up over him because he's 6'10", 6'11", with like a seven eight seven nine wingspan, I mean, it's absolutely nuts what he can do because he can go and get uh, shots that most guys in the league can't go get, and he's just such a freak of nature that when you look at what he was able to accomplish throughout the season, and like I said, we're taking all of the points and rebounds and all that stuff off the table when it comes to Giannis because we know what he's able to do in and out night in and night out, but his greatest impact, I think, is understanding that he can enforce himself on other teams in a way that not many stars in the current age can. Yeah, I mean, when when the when the team uses the fear the deer slogan, they're talking about uh, they're talking about Giannis, and for good reason. Like he's he's the most complete candidate on on this list. I, I, I'm. I sincerely believe because I, I would agree. He can assert he. Not only does can he assert dominance on both ends, he does consistently, always. He will always play hard no matter what, and I think it, it's just such a crying shame because that he that his campaign got lost in the mix. Because for one thing, I, I think his voters are just getting used to just his greatness. I think it's just a matter of a matter of fact that yeah, Giannis is great. He's a dominant force in the NBA, but also just getting lost in the mix of. All, all stuff that's completely outside of basketball, too. Like, cause from a pure basketball perspective, like, Giannis, he should have been right there. He should have been right there in the race, like, neck, neck, and neck. Hey, no doubt about it, because... Like, as, as soon as Kendrick Perkins started spewing the, the, the race card, it, it was the, the, you know, uh, Giannis just fell out of the race. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, between his injury and that narrative coming out in March, yes, because he just it just he was hurt, pushed out, it hurt him. Yeah, he was pushed out of the public eye. He was he was out of sight, out of mind. 
that's exactly what it was, and, and and it hurt him. And I think as much as he did down the stretch to try to recover, there was just there was just not enough runway for him to make up the ground that had been lost. And and sometimes in, it it happens. Um, I think you have to also realize that as much as Giannis doesn't mind winning MVP, he's already got two. Yeah. And I think he is on the same trajectory as Nikola Jokic, where I've accomplished all of the things individually that I want to accomplish. Now it's time to continue to build towards, in his case, more championships, and in Jokic's mm-hmm. case, a championship. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and that's just something that MB doesn't have. Right. Like, it's that the Sixers don't have. Like, the Bucks and the Nuggets, they have their eye on the ball. They have, have a goal. They they're serious organizations. I'm just not sure if the Sixers and Embiid by extension are actually serious. That is nothing but the truth. And it's funny you say that because it segues us right into how we want to end the podcast. A lot of times the question I'm going to ask is usually the way that most people open shows, they open podcasts around the country. Um, But I wanted to, do this entire podcast in reverse because I wanted us to have a conversation uh, that allowed us to talk about the things that matter uh, most to you guys and then work our way back to our personal uh, thoughts in, 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 in regards to certain things about this race. So let's look at what, it means to be the 2022-2023 MVP after it has been decided. So I'll open the floor up to you, Ty. What do you think it means after the votes have been decided with seeing how Jokic, not Jokic, I'm sorry, Embiid won in a landslide? How do you feel about it knowing all of those things? Uh, For one thing, well, disappointment is the first thing thing that comes to mind. Like, Jokic had a chance to have something special happen, something that hasn't happened in like 40-ish years, right? But, you know, matching the likes of Larry Bird and, and Bill Russell, and it it would have been special, like it would have been special in a really trivia sort of way to really celebrate that, but right. I think, I think it, but mostly what I get is relief. It's relief that we don't have to hear about this anymore. It's relief that, you know, there's a lot of pressure off of Jokic and the Nuggets' shoulders now. Because now we don't have the MV3 stuff. We don't have the MVP stuff of the, that conversation anymore. Now we can just play ball, right? Yeah, and and, and it's a bit of hope for, for myself, too. Because hopefully now now that all three guys have their MVP, now that Jokic and Embiid have their, have their accolades, hopefully we can just, you know, stop talking about it. Just shut up and play ball, right? Hopefully that... The talking heads can uh, can go back to something more more fruitful. Hopefully the <laughs> right. yeah, <I laughs> hopefully Jokic, hopefully Embiid can you know focus on playing ball and focus on dominating all the time. And uh, you know hopefully the fans like the fan discussion online and just in general can can be more tenuous, right? Hopefully hopefully there's no tribalization between. In, uh, between Nuggets and Sixers fans, hopefully there's no no more trolling on either end, you know, because that really did dampen my enjoyment of the season. You know, just having all this drama going on in the media on a national scale, and when I tried to go on online and just talk with other people, it would just be, yeah, 
it would just devolve into trolls back and forth. When I he tried to talk with my friends and family in in reality, it would be it would just devolve into complaining about you know Embiid, right? Like I, now, I'm hopeful that now that this is all done, now that Embiid has finally won, we we can all just shut up and play ball. <laughs> it, it can finally be about basketball again. I couldn't agree more, and it should have always been about basketball, but. There's always little things that get in between that that can sometimes divide and conquer, unfortunately. When it comes to how do I feel after the MVP has been announced, I feel indifferent because the bottom line is the most important thing to me has always been a championship. I'll never forget here in in Denver, and I know specifically on this station, we were having a huge argument about... uh, Nikola Jokic, he's the only guy going to All-Star Weekend. What about KCP for for the three-pointer or Aaron Gordon for the dunk contest? Or what about Jamal Murray in the All-Star game? Or what about this guy? What about that guy? He's been this. He's been that. What's most important? What do you care about? What, what, What should be the ultimate goal? As much as I enjoy talking about the MVP and how much it means to the league and how much it's meant to the league and how you can't tell the story of the NBA without it. It has put us in a weird position now where guys are asking themselves the question, how much does the MVP matter? And I think Joel, like finally getting the MVP award can now force guys, I think to start to focus on winning like, if you focus more on winning than you do chasing stats, or in Kendrick Perkins' case, stat padding, I think you'll be just fine. It doesn't matter how much representation you have on this front. It doesn't matter how many accolades you have over on that front. The most important thing is what do you have to say for it when it's all said and done in your career about a championship? A MVP only carries you but a championship carries an entire organization, a legacy, a, a, a community. It inspires them. It, it gives them hope. So that's how I feel about the MVP. I feel indifferent. I'm glad Joel won it. Great for you, bud. Like, I hope your life is complete. But nonetheless, when these things are all said and done, how many championships will you have to your name? Because that's what separates not just the good from the great, not just the great from the all-time greats, but the all-time greats from the GOATs. And that's what we're talking about right now. Who can elevate themselves from all-time great to GOAT status? And when we call, when we talk about MVPs, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, man, I got chills. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better than myself. Like, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, like, winning is what matters, no matter what. It doesn't matter what role you had in it. Doesn't matter your your personal glory. Doesn't matter. Just win. Yeah, you're absolutely right. With that being said, man, this has been a very uh, amazing episode, and definitely got into some 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 different styles of 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 conversation, different pacings, different everything. But I think through it all, we kind of really flushed out uh, this year's MVP, and I, I think it kind of gave some perspective to what this year's looked like, and what the future of the NBA MVP could look like if guys actually 
go about this the right way and how this could look in the future. It doesn't matter how many MVP awards you have, even though it's nice to continue to stack them. The most important thing is a championship. And that's what I'm looking forward to seeing going forward in regards to guys emphasizing the importance of a regular season award of this magnitude. Yeah, absolutely. Let the young guys let the young guys chase chase awards. Let it's let let the veterans let the veterans let the greats chase rings. Well, not not like that, but no, you, you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. No, you're right though because you don't hear LeBron or Steph or or Jimmy Butler or, or any AD. of those or AD or any of those guys crying about an MVP award. They're like, man, a championship or nothing. That's always their mindset. It's always been their exactly, mindset. and that's what makes them so great. Exactly. Exactly, and, and and that like, and whether whether it's love or res, or respect that you're talking about, that's what makes them respected. That's what gives them so much respect and uh, acclaim around the league. Like they, they, that's what drives them. That's what makes the the league great. That's what makes their teams great. That's what makes basketball great. Just that drive, that desire. The mic drop of the podcast. Hey, we want to thank you guys so much for listening in. Uh, Sticking with us through what was a, a very in, impactful episode of the NBA, uh, or should I say the 2022-2023 NBA MVP. And nonetheless, you guys are better because you listened. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, thank you guys so much for everything. And this episode would not be possible without the help of Denver Sports. Again, you can listen to this episode on denversports.com or the Denver Sports app, where you can also check out all of our other work between all of the stories we're writing, we're, we're always updating the latest stories. We're also catching you up with the most recent podcast on everything that's going on around the station. So tune in to those as well. And again, thank you guys so much. And we will check you out on the next episode or you would check us out. Should I say on the next episode of the producers podcast. Peace out guys.